Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Coming up, the Liberals malign gun owners as extremists, vaccine passports, and Ezra Levant on a dark day for press freedom. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Hello and welcome to another edition of Canada's most irreverent talk show here on True North. This is the Andrew Lawton Show. It is April 13th, 2021, and after a little bit of a week of, I don't want to say respite because I was doing a fair bit of work last week on my supposed week off, working on getting this documentary together on firearms, which we'll talk about in a couple of moments. I am very much glad to be back, although it has been an eventful few days, even just over the weekend, as we see the vilification of what I would call very normal people. The vilification of the normals is what's happening here, and the liberals are creating a world in which everyone but them is an extremist. And in some cases, they're going to come right out and say that, as Bill Blair did, the public safety minister, at the liberal convention on the weekend during a discussion about, it's not quite clear what, I mean, he was talking about gun control and he was talking about the makeup of the gun lobby, but he decided to go very wide and in doing so malign the 2 million Canadian firearms owners who he says have extremists in their midst. Here's what Bill Blair said. You know, we're seeing ideologically motivated violent extremists who are using online platforms to propagate and, and advocate for hatred and violence against women, against religious minorities, anti-Semitic, Islamophobic, um, and hateful speech and advocating violence. And we can use these red flag laws because I will tell you many of those extremists, they're not every person who's in the gun lobby is an extremist, but everybody in the extremist is in the gun lobby. So did you get that? He said, well, not, he was, he was very charitable with it. He said, well, not every gun owner, not everyone in the gun lobby is an extremist, but anyone who's an extremist, they're in the gun lobby. Now I've covered numerous stories of radicalism and terrorism. I covered a case not far from where I am in Strathroy, Ontario, but a terrorist who was uh, thankfully foiled in his efforts to undertake an act of terror, but in the end was not a member of the gun lobby. I never saw him at the range day. I've never seen him in the membership roles of any gun group as far as I'm concerned, nor that Toronto van attacker, nor the guy who decided to go on a rampage in Nova Scotia, nor any number of other killers, people who have perpetrated heinous crimes in Canada. These are not people that I would say are part of the gun lobby. And there's a very easy way of figuring this out. The gun lobby in Canada advocates for safe, responsible, and legal firearms ownership. So all of the people who are doing things with guns that are not those things are therefore not part of the gun lobby, either in form or in spirit. But it doesn't matter. I mean, I, I'm not one of these people that wants to decide to meet a bad faith argument with logic and reason and sense, because clearly Bill Blair doesn't want to play that game. Bill Blair wants to just go and peddle complete falsehoods about gun ownership and gun owners, knowing that a lot of the people in his audience in the Liberal Convention and also the mainstream media and a lot of other Canadians watching that will have no idea that what he's saying is just complete fiction, like the idea of evidence-based decision-making from the government. 
This is the same Bill Blair who has said alongside Justin Trudeau that not a single law-abiding gun owner is going to be targeted by the myriad gun reforms that the Liberals are putting in place, such as that order in council last May that overnight prohibited 1,500 types of firearms, and then a couple of weeks later, quietly adding more to the list. Or more recently, Bill C-21, which goes after the scourge that is replica firearms, among many others, and also allows municipal governments to ban handguns from law-abiding gun owners, or as Bill Blair would say, from, you know, just the extremists that live in your midst. So I don't have a lot of patience or time for this form of disingenuous, I don't even want to call it debate, for this disingenuous drive-by smear from the guy that's supposed to be holding himself up above politics. Remember, he thumps his chest and says he was a former police chief. He knows what it's like to serve, and now he's in Justin Trudeau's cabinet. But he actually has disgraced himself in both roles. The fact that he was such an embarrassment as Toronto police chief meant that he wasn't content to just share that embarrassment with Toronto alone. He wanted to bring his incompetence to the entire of Canada, which is why the rest of us are stuck with him now. And he brings no credibility to this file, so all he has are attacks, all he has are insults. But I want you to take a look at this tweet from Bill Blair about the convention. He said he was proud to meet with liberals from across the country virtually about what we're doing to keep Canadians safe from coast to coast to coast and how we can work together to build a better future for all Canadians. Do you think that anything that is a part of that line that he gave about extremists is working together? Is that building a better Canada? Is that making people safer? No. What he's doing is he's trying to scapegoat gun owners, which he calls the gun lobby because it sounds scarier than just saying lawful licensed firearm owners, but he's trying to scapegoat the gun lobby and say that whenever someone is an extremist, they are in the gun lobby. Now, look, we know that there are bad people in any facet of society. It's an unfortunate reality, but it exists. But the one thing he's failing to acknowledge here, and this is statistical, this is not conjecture on my part, is that law-abiding gun owners are statistically safer than the general population. And you may say, how's that? Well, there's, there's a reason for it, because there is no real barrier to entering the general population, but there is a barrier to entering the community of licensed gun owners in Canada. You have to go through quite a, a rigorous screening, and you are actually checked daily, daily background checks to make sure your status hasn't changed, which means if someone has a gun license, they are actually safer and more responsible in many regards than an average Canadian. Now, does that mean average Canadians are unsafe? No. It simply means that you can't look at gun owners or the gun lobby and say that these are the people that are responsible for the ills of society. Or even to say that these people are welcoming to extremists because he was trying to be shrewd there. He's saying, no, 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 I, I'm not arguing that all gun owners are extremists. I'm just saying that all extremists are gun owners. Just listen to that last section of his uh, answer there. I will tell you many of those extremists, they're, not every person who's in the gun lobby is an extremist, but everybody in the extremist is in the gun lobby. So yeah, all extremists are part of the gun lobby or in the gun lobby. Well, that, that just isn't the case. And let me tell you, as someone who has talked to gun owners, has talked to gun groups, has had people from numerous firearms organizations on this very show, I can tell you that the gun lobby is more likely to purge extremists from its midst than to allow them in it. So th there's no sense about this. 
The problem is that a lot of this rhetoric to people that don't know better does seep into the public consciousness. And I know I may sound like a broken record on this, but I have to tell you because I'm excited about this project. This is the reason I've been going across the country talking to real gun owners, gun business owners, sports shooters, people in the so-called gun lobby in many cases, about what they are experiencing at the hands of the Liberal government. The documentary is coming out, I hope, in about six weeks' time. We've still got a little bit of work left to do on it, but it's coming together well. That is called Assaulted Justin Trudeau's War on Gun Owners, and you can get all the information about that over at www.assaulted.ca. And if I can put in a shameless plug on it, we do need your support to make projects like this happen. So there's a donate option if you can contribute financially, however big or small, to the project. It would very much be appreciated. But again, when I set out to do that, I didn't expect that Bill Blair would be reminding me on a regular basis why it is important to showcase the face of gun owners. And some of the people I've spoken to in the production of this, just, you know, moms, dads, mom and pop shops, ordinary people, Olympic athletes, people that are part of the gun lobby, which in Bill Blair's eyes is a safe haven for extremists. And as I've said, this is now an era where there's a scapegoating of everyone, a vilification of everyone, and normal people are the ones in the government's crosshairs. We've got to take a break. When we come back, more of The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. You're tuned in to The Andrew Lawton Show. Welcome back to The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. A couple of weeks ago, I had the good privilege of being a guest on Maxime Bernier's show, The Max Bernier Show, and it was great. We had a wide-ranging chat. We talked about my time in politics and media, independent media, COVID lockdowns. We spoke for, I think it was 40, 45 minutes or so, and I'm not a PPC supporter in the sense that I'm not a supporter of any particular party, but I enjoyed the conversation and would happily go back. But it was interesting. There was one section of that interview with Maxime Bernier that has had me getting deluged by a lot of very nasty email, and it was a section in which I talked about vaccine passports. Here's what I said. I, I think that a vaccine passport is inevitable, and, I, and I, I'm kind of of two minds on this, because on one hand, I respect national sovereignty, and I respect that countries need to be able to make decisions that are right for them. So even if Canada doesn't have a vaccine passport, countries that Canadians might want to travel to, like France or Germany or Israel, may expect one. So if a Canadian wants mm -hmm. to travel, they have to play by other countries' rules. Now, one of the problems is I generally tend to be an easygoing person, and some people are uncomfortable comfortable with the fact that I'm not angry all the time, to which I say it's very difficult to sustain being angry all the time. But I gave what I believe is a matter-of-fact assessment that vaccine passports are inevitable, and a lot of people didn't like that. And I realized that I haven't actually talked about this in a little while, and I wanted to delve into it in a way that people understand my position, that I think vaccine passports are terrible, but also that they are unavoidable. And the reason I say this is twofold. Number one, I am committed to my libertarian principles, and I don't believe that anyone has a right to go into another country. As much as I became accustomed to in the before times, being able to just head on over to the United States if I wanted, or pick up on a plane and go to a country anywhere in the world if I so desired, no other country has a right to admit non-citizens into its borders. Which means that if any country that is a tourist destination decides it wants to put up barriers and say, in order to enter, you must prove that you are vaccinated, 
I believe they have a right as a sovereign nation to do that. Now, if Canada were to do it, I would oppose it because I'm a Canadian. I have a say in how the Canadian government does things, or that's how it's supposed to be in a democratic society, but that's a topic for another day. And the issue with businesses is very similar. I believe that businesses have a right to determine whatever rules and guidelines they want for admittance. So if Live Nation, which is one of the big concert companies, decides that they're going to say, in order to come to one of our concerts, you need to be vaccinated, you need to prove it, and you need to show a vaccine passport, I would oppose that, but respect their right as an independent private company to do it. And that's the challenge with liberty, is that if you believe people have a right to make these decisions for themselves, you unfortunately will inevitably lead to situations where these things have very wide-reaching implications. And this is where we are now. If the Canadian government mandates a vaccine passport, that would be incredibly wrong. It would be a violation of people's right to not be vaccinated. Like I've said in the past, I support vaccinations, but I also support people's right to say a vaccine is not for them. And that's an especially important freedom as we see stories of concern about the AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson vaccines in particular. Just this morning, U.S. health authorities recommended a pause in the Johnson & Johnson vaccine over a small number, but still a number of cases involving blood clots. But all of that is beside the point. You as an individual have a right to decide what you want to put in your body. Similarly, other businesses have a right to decide what rules they want to put out and other individuals have a right to decide what comfort level they have about people in their orbit. And this is the inevitable problem we are going to see with vaccine passports is that we may reach them by default without them being adopted by a state without them being adopted by the Canadian government necessarily. Because if the Canadian government were to start mandating this, or even airlines which are federally regulated, I'd say there is a, an argument that Air Canada and WestJet are not private companies, especially Air Canada now that they've gotten a multi-billion dollar aid package from the government. But this is not me endorsing vaccine passports. This is me taking a very realistic view of how the world is headed and where the world is headed. One story that came across my radar regarding the TIAC, which is the Tourism Industry Association of Canada, is that they're calling for a vaccine passport because they see it as being the only way that you could have travel reopen. This industry, which is, again, made up of Air Canada, Via Rail, a bunch of government-funded tourism boards, they are saying that, listen, the 14-day quarantine is killing tourism, travel restrictions are killing tourism, they think a vaccine passport is the only way to get out of that. And that's the problem here, is that a lot of people right now think that that is the only way out of it, and if they don't see another solution, that's going to be a position they're going to adopt. And I think the response to that is very easy. Government has to get off of this quarantine mindset, which simply isn't working. And I'll give you an example of why. If you want to drive into Canada right now, you're a Canadian citizen, you're allowed to be in Canada, you have to get a test three days before you cross the border. And then on the day you arrive, you have to get another test. And if it's negative, doesn't matter, you're still in quarantine. And then on your 10th day of quarantine, you have to get another test. And if it's negative, you get to leave your quarantine on the 14th day when you would have left it anyway. So you need to do three tests, even though the outcome is the same, which is you being stuck in quarantine for 14 days. 
So the idea of just going away for a weekend is simply not possible for most people unless they want to deal with the two weeks of house arrest that comes after it. And we've already talked on the show on numerous occasions about what happens when you fly into the country. You have to spend up to $2,000 to hang out in hotel quarantine for three days, and at the end of which you get a negative test, you still have to spend your 14-day quarantine at home. What government is trying to do is basically prohibit travel without coming out and saying that you are not allowed to leave the country, which government can't do. They can not deny you entry into your country, but they can make it miserable, which is what they're trying to do. And it's causing a slow, painful death to the travel and tourism sector in Canada, so much so that people are grabbing onto a vaccine passport because they think it's the only available concession. So while I think these things are inevitable in some form, I'm also very aware that government is trying to make it so that the vaccine is the be-all and end-all, but they're not even doing a particularly good job at that. The government isn't saying that being vaccinated gets you out of quarantine, and the reason the government's not saying that is because they failed at getting vaccinations to Canadians. They failed at getting people who want to be vaccinated, vaccinated. And that failure is going to continue and persist for months and months and months, which is why Canada is, as a developed nation, still shamefully doing this four-month interval between first dose and second dose, despite the fact that that's not what the vaccine manufacturers have tested for and it's not what they are prescribing for these things. So again, I'm never going to force anyone to get a vaccine. Get one, don't get one. That is entirely your choice. But the thing is, not everyone has to accept that choice. The government has to, yes. Do other individuals? No. Same as you don't have to respect their choices. Do private businesses? No. Same as you don't have to respect their choices. So you can call me a big globalist shill because I think that vaccine passports are inevitable, but the fact that we're already seeing so many pushes for this is kind of indicating that I'm right. Whether you like it or not, this is what's coming. That doesn't mean it's agreement, it's a prediction. We'll be back in a moment talking to Ezra Levant of Rebel News. Stay with me. This is The Andrew Lawton Show. You're tuned in to The Andrew Lawton Show. Welcome back to The Andrew Lawton Show, Canada's most irreverent talk show here on True North. I want you to just take a look at some of this footage from Montreal over the weekend. Now, if I didn't tell you that was Montreal or you didn't recognize any of the players or people involved, you'd think that this was some sort of raid taking place in a foreign land, a place that doesn't have a constitutional protection of freedom or freedom of the press specifically. But that was in Montreal. That was in the Dominion of Canada over the weekend and a raid on a boat occupied by members of our friends over at Rebel News for the purported offense of engaging in journalism under lockdown. Rebel Commander Ezra Levant joins me on the line now. Ezra, good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on today. Well, thank you. And I actually think you're the first Canadian journalist to interview me about this. I've done the circuit in the United States. Major outlets are shocked by this. But I think most Canadian media party journalists are either not allowed to say anything, don't want to say anything, or frankly agree with the police raid on our journalists. 
I find that troubling. You raise an interesting point there, and, and actually, maybe we'll start with the bigger picture, because you and I have been in London, England for the Global Conference for Media Freedom, when Canada stands up as a leader and a beacon of press freedom and talks about how countries like the Congo and Venezuela need to do better without looking in its own, not even its own backyard, its own its own front yard here. And similarly, we have a lot of people in Canada that when you were going through your Human Rights Commission battles, what, 15 years? ago would take principled stands even if they didn't agree with what you said but now that's gone and, and people are uninterested in standing up for the freedom of people they've determined are not worth it yeah i remember when we published the danish cartoons of mohammed it was almost universal the support for us even if people didn't like our politics they they thought it was outrageous that we would be uh investigated by the state things have changed completely in those 15 years i i'm incredulous uh, for example at La Presse that's a large newspaper in Montreal cheering for the police raid on our Airbnb when just uh, a couple years ago one of their own columnists was subject to illegal wiretaps by the same Montreal police force they were outraged when their reporter was illegally spied on by police but they're thrilled that we are the subject of a raid. I don't know if they can see what they look like or can see what they're doing because the precedents being set against us will surely be used against them. Let me give you a, a one minute mm -hmm. recap of what happened. <clears throat> We've been covering the lockdowns and lockdown protests across Canada almost since the beginning. Well, since the beginning. And uh, we don't have a lot of strength in Quebec because we're English speaking and and we only have one employee in Quebec and most of what he does is not on camera. But he started picking up a camera and going out at night to show us what the pandemic curfew in that province is like. I don't know if most Canadians know this, but in Quebec, they actually have a curfew at night. They claim that somehow stops the virus. And at 8 p.m. in Montreal, you can't be on the streets unless you have a special exemption. And just to confirm, journalist journalists are eligible yeah. for those exemptions, correct? That's right. So our journalist, his name is Yankee Pollock, he, uh, he has uh, an authorization, he has an exemption, he has a confirmation from the police. It's, it's totally kosher, so to speak. So Yankee goes out there and he uh, points a camera at police enforcing this curfew, and they don't like that. Police in Montreal don't wear body cams. They are... I don't think it's controversial to say the most corrupt police force in Canada. If you Google Montreal police corruption, you'll get more than two million hits. It really is a bad place. So our reporter would go out and point a camera at these police, and they would ticket him and harass him. And it, it started getting weird. They would call him Jew media. Are you a Jew? They repeatedly, and I, I thought that that, could be anti-Semitic. I don't want to jump to a conclusion. Maybe something was lost in translation. Maybe they were asking if he was with a Jewish newspaper. There are such things, like there's Christian newspapers. But I, I didn't like his, the treatment of him. So we sent more reporters to join him in solidarity. They were also called Jew media, and they were handcuffed, arrested, pushed around by Montreal police. And by the way, they were doing nothing. They were standing on the sidewalk with a camera but because they were reporting on the lockdown and the what I would call police brutality, they were brutalized too. So our one guy was brutalized. 
We sent a bunch of reinforcements. They were brutalized. So I do what we often do here at Rebel News. We show solidarity. So me and 16 other of our staff went to Montreal in solidarity with Yankee and the rest of the team. And we also brought Montreal lawyers with us, Francophone lawyers who know the criminal law. We had a one-hour briefing with the lawyers in advance to make sure we knew all the rules and were in compliance and knew what to do. We all had the lawyer's phone number. And actually, the lawyer came out on the streets with us just so we were compliant. Uh, Friday night went fine. Um, we stayed in an Airbnb, as I mentioned, just for privacy. We rented a whole houseboat. 21 people was the capacity. We had 17 people. We followed all the rules. It was a registered Airbnb. It was sort of fun because it was a houseboat as opposed to a regular house. We liked that because it gave us privacy. Saturday morning comes around. We're having breakfast in the Airbnb, and a bunch of cops come up to it and say, we want to come on your Airbnb. We want to come in your, your houseboat. And I said, come back with a search warrant. We're reporters. I'm, I know this is Montreal, but I also know there's still a little bit of rule of law left. They did not, in fact, storm the boat, but because I wouldn't let them come on, they took that orange police tape, roped off the entire pier, including our cars, roped off the boat, called it a crime scene, and for the next 10 hours, trapped us. They wouldn't let anyone off the boat unless they submitted to a personal search. They wouldn't let anyone back on the boat. They pushed our people around. They actually arrested David Menzies and took him to jail. And here's what they said to us. And I, I remember this, and I, a day later I thought, no, that can't be. I can't be remembering this right. So I called our lawyer and double-checked. And they said, oh, yeah, that happened. Like, it's so absurd. What I'm about to tell you is so absurd. I almost thought that my mind created it. And so I double-checked with the lawyer, because what I'm about to say is so insane. They handcuffed David Menzies, took him to a police jail, a police station jail. And then they said to our lawyer, if you let us search your Airbnb, go room to room and search the personal effects of your reporters, if you let us do that without a search warrant, we'll let David out of jail. If you don't let us do that, we'll keep David in jail. It, what essentially were they looking using for? him as a hostage. What were they looking for? What, I don't quite know. Uh, at one point they said, are there other people on the boat? What, do you think we were like smuggling people across Roxham Road? I want to let you know, it was a houseboat, so it, it looks like a boat, but it's permanently in the pier you know it's well, yeah because i was I wondering when this happened why you didn't just you know go away from the dock and just sail off into the sunset but that that's your yeah, point well, you couldn't the boat was fixed in place okay well and i we had nothing to run away from i, I mean it, it's just like a slightly quirky airbnb but i i chose it because it was of privacy reasons we would have the whole thing to ourselves and because when you're buying hotel rooms for 17 people it actually worked out more economically to do it in one area. Now, have any charges or tickets so, been laid against anyone, against Rebel or any of the people that were involved in this on this day? Yes, they've given uh, a charge to David Menzies, and I, I haven't actually inspected uh, the, the charge yet. So he has been charged. He has to go back to Montreal. None, none of the rest of us have received any charges. I presume something will come in the mail, some sort of ticket. But like I say, we were all in compliance with the law. It was, it was an Airbnb. It was like and a hotel. Was the, was this the cause of the investigation that you were violating gathering restrictions? Was that what they were suspicious of? 
Well, that's one of the things they said, but it, it wasn't a gathering. It was it was like a hotel. Yeah, but so. and I'm also curious if if they're if they're suspicious of you for having a gathering, what benefit do they have from going through your backpacks and your laptops and yeah. your purses and all of these things? I mean, are they exactly. looking for other? Yeah, more people in them. And I was worried that if they got on the boat, and they wouldn't let us on the boat, they, they wanted to search the, the houseboat, but they wouldn't let us accompany them. I was very worried, given the, given the history of corruption in this police force, that they might plant something on us. I don't know, drugs or, or a weapon or something. But here's the incredible part. For 10 hours, we refused to let them on the boat. They refused to let us move. They held uh, David in a jail cell for about half that time. For 10 hours, they shopped around Quebec to try to find a judge to give them a search warrant. No judge would sign it. I don't know, maybe they couldn't find a judge, or maybe a judge would look at it and say, what? You want to search journalists' hotel rooms because you claim they were... like I, it, it, Here's the, the, the owner of the Airbnb came down because he heard there were 50 police there. He was panicked. He came down. He thought maybe we were like a Hell's Angels gang or having an illegal rave or something. And he saw it was just journalists. And he, uh, he talked to me, then he talked to the cops, and he came back to me and he said this. He said, I sure hope you're right, and I hope they're wrong, he said, referring to the police. Because if they're right, I'm out of business. Because if, if having a bed and breakfast, having an Airbnb mini hotel is now called an illegal gathering, he's out of business. And think about that. Like, if you just deem a hotel to be an illegal gathering, it's not a gathering, it's a hotel. He said, if you're, he said, if you're wrong, he said to me, I'm out of business. So he, he wasn't even mad at me. I asked him because his day was ruined by this. Imagine having a huge police force surrounding your B&B, taping it off as a crime scene. You, you don't know what's going on. You come down there and it doesn't make sense. There was such a huge crowd of police, police cars, police trucks, police bikes, that a crowd gathered to watch. One person said, are they filming a movie? Because it was so, it was so absurd. No one could believe what happened. Yeah, it's not a As great movie. I don't want to see how this one ends. Yeah, well, I guess we are making yeah. a movie out of it, but it's not it's not a happy movie. It's a movie of police brutality. And as the police pushed us, pushed us, the crowd started booing and heckling and swearing at the police. Listen, we were heckling the police too. It's all you can do when they've got the guns, when they're breaking the law. I believe it is at least bending the law, if not breaking it, to arrest David Menzies, hold him in an awful jail cell, and use that as a bargaining chip to get illegal access into our into our hotel rooms. I mean, either David Menzies did something wrong or he didn't. Either they have the legal right to search our hotel or they don't. For them to grab Menzies and then say, we'll let him go if you give us uh, the right to search your place without a warrant, that's in itself corruption. And why are they doing that? I mentioned earlier they call us Jew media and are you a Jew? I don't actually think that's their central motivating factor. In fact, we only have that one Jewish reporter there, Yankee. Our reporters of various religions, various races. I don't think it was racism that was their dominant motive. I think they just hated the fact that we were pointing cameras at what they were doing. Because another policeman told our reporter another day, he said, why are you out recording us? Why are you asking us such questions? Yeah, I saw once they said saying there's nothing CTV to see don't. here. There's no story. Well, that's for journalists to decide. 
they say that all the time. And they also, on one occasion, said, the CBC doesn't ask us these questions. Why are you? <laughs> As if... Uh, Asked and I mean, answered. Which was incredible. <laughs> yeah. So they show they want a compliant uh, subordinate media. And by the way, police in Montreal do not have body cams. So a lot of their abuses go un undocumented, unrecorded. I... It was, it was incredible. We went there, and we had this big team meeting before we went. We had 17 people. We met with the lawyers. They briefed us. We really had our battle plan in advance. And I said to everybody, our goal is to have an uneventful weekend where we simply record the news and so go I, home. We're not me, there If to I can protest. interrupt you go there, ahead. Ezra, and I, I'm sorry. So yeah. you were here to report. You weren't just here because you wanted a fight. Oh, exactly. It was the opposite. In fact, I, we had a real talk with our lawyers, with our staff, and we decided, I mean, the whole reason we met with the lawyers in advance and had the lawyer with us is so we would be compliant the whole time. We literally went out on the streets of Montreal with a criminal lawyer, a French, native French-speaking criminal lawyer, walking the streets with us, ready to interact with police. Because... We were briefed on the law, but you know, if you get into trouble, you call a lawyer. But if it's 1 a.m. or whatever, because we were out reporting on the lockdown until 1 a.m., the lawyer was literally walking with us. And I said to the whole team, including the lawyer, we're not going to protest. We're not going as activists. We're going as reporters. We may be forced into some action by the police, but our goal is to have an uneventful weekend where the lawyers at the end of it say, huh, that was the easiest money we ever made. Why did you even hire us? So the ideal outcome is nothing would have happened. But you and I know that these days, the, just getting the right to report often involves some sort of a battle. I remember when you and you and um, David Menzies and Kean Bextie went to federal court, we had to fight just to do our reporting in the 2019 leaders debate. So. Um, I know you weren't looking for a fight then, neither were we. We were just looking to go and do the reporting, but we had to fight for that right. Same thing here in Montreal. It was the police that were escalating. They were picking on our reporter, Yankee. Then they picked on our smaller team that went. So I sent 17 people. It was a proof. It was sort of let us test the system completely lawfully. We're going to be really legally briefed. We're going to have lawyers with us. We will see if Quebec is indeed a police state, or if it's free. And they failed the test. Uh, it's incredible how they attempted to get on the boat. When I said get a warrant, they detained me. And then they said to my younger staff, you have to let us in if you're not... Like, they, they tried these tricks, these tricky, deceptive language, but our staff are pretty smart. And they said, no, no, come back with a warrant. For... They couldn't believe that we resisted their demands. For 10 hours, they shopped around their search warrant application. No judge in Quebec would give it to them. So suddenly, 10 hours after they first arrived, they just left. No explanation, no apology. They just left. And we went back on, the, on our Airbnb. It was the most incredible thing. And, and they released David just released them when they realized that they couldn't use them as a hostage, uh, the ransom being letting them in our Airbnb. Now, here's the thing. Uh, and La Presse is really strange about it. Like I say, their own reporters have been illegally spied on by Montreal police, but they are mocking this police raid on our Airbnb, saying that we're not real journalists, that we're clowns, whatever. 
I don't think we're clowns. I know we're re real journalists. As I said, the Federal Court of Canada said that you and we are, and they commanded the Debates Commission to let us in. But let's say we aren't good people. Let's say we're really, really bad people. Let's say we're clownish, whatever the accusations are. So what? The Charter of Rights and the Rule of Law protect everyone in Canada, whether you're smart or dumb, whether you're friendly or mean, whether you're an excellent journalist or a crummy journalist. The Charter of Rights, the Rule of Law, limited police powers, civilian oversight of police, search warrants, that all applies whether or not you're a nice person or a bad person. Um, the, the press can love you or hate you. We are all protected by the law. And I find it extremely disappointing that most Canadian journalists were thrilled that we were the subject of a police raid. I find that the scary part. I'm glad you're all okay, but you're right. A lot of very significant questions this raises about the state of media and also the law enforcement in Quebec and Montreal. Ezra Levant from Rebel News, always a pleasure. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, my friend. Wow, just insane. And again, there are so many people in Canada that are going to say, well, it, it's Rebel. Well, it's Ezra. Well, it's, I mean, who cares? Who cares? If you, I would, in a heartbeat, stand up for any CBC, CTV, Global News, Vancouver Sun, Montreal Gazette reporter, Canada Land, Press Progress, Rabble, doesn't matter. Would stand up for any of them to do their jobs, even in the face of lockdown. The problem is a lot of people in the media have committed themselves to big lockdown, which means that any reporter that decides, you know what, we're going to keep working through the lockdown, as is a journalist right, is now themselves being vilified. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, the vilification of the normal. We've got to wrap things up, but we'll, of course, follow this and all other sorts of happenings in the land of Canada. We'll talk to you in a couple of days. This is Canada's most irreverent talk show here on True North, The Andrew Lawton Show. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.